Welcome to Coog's Talk Stock from WSU Extension, a science-based podcast about animal agriculture for those that raise food animals, those that are interested in learning how, and those that want to learn more about where their food comes from. Find us online at soundcloud.com forward slash Coog's Talk Stock. Listeners, this is Natasha Moffitt Hemmer, 4-H coordinator for WSU Extension in Okanagan County. Welcome to Coog's Talk Stock Podcast with WSU Extension. Today, we will be discussing a study that a colleague at WSU recently completed, looking at the impacts that animals have had on youth during the COVID pandemic. I'm really excited to welcome our guest, Stephanie Roder-Smith, to tell us a little bit about her research and what she has found so far. Stephanie Roder-Smith has a master's degree in prevention science and is currently a PhD candidate of prevention science at WSU. She's also holding down the position of 4-H regional specialist for Chelan, Douglas, and Grant counties as an assistant professor for Washington State University. Welcome, Stephanie. We're so glad to have you on. Thanks, Natasha. I'm glad to be here. So to get things started, I'd like to hear a little bit about your background. How did you end up in this position doing this type of work? Yeah, well, I've always had a um, pretty big interest in animals, especially horses. And I was a 4-H member myself. And so that was actually a lot of the inspiration for me to be looking for a career where I could do something that was both with you know, people and animals. Um, I felt like animals played a big role in, in my life, not just as like a hobby, but, you know, helped me figure out who I was and, you know, enjoy life and those types of things. And so I had an interest in that for a long time. And then through college, I started out in human development for my bachelor's degree with also, I explored animal sciences for a while too. So I have some background there and ultimately decided, you know, there's this thing I keep hearing about with therapeutic horseback riding. And so I started to go seeking out opportunities for that and wanted my human development degree just to, um, my human development degree, just to have that good look at, you know, what is it that helps people to be good, healthy humans and support healthy kids and that kind of thing. So, um, I ended up meeting my now advisor, Dr. Pendry at WSU and going into graduate school to help her specifically with a study that we did to look at uh, the effects of a 12 week equine assisted learning program at WSU. And that was really interesting because we got to look at things like, um, youth social competence, and also uh, stress physiology through cortisol samples. And so that was really an awesome, amazing launch into this field that I now get to work in as part of my job with 4-H and WSU um, in human-animal interaction research. And so it's been a lot of fun, and um, I feel like I get to chase this really neat passion that I wasn't sure I'd be able to find a career in. I love that. Animals have always been a big part of my life as well. So I totally know what you're talking about with just chasing that part and then also finding the new interest in human development. So I really am glad to have you here because I'm really excited to talk about this study. I There's always been 
people who say that animals are good for your health, they're good for your mental health, they're good for the childhood development, but I haven't ever really seen any research or results to show me that. So I'm excited to see what you have for us. Can you tell us a little bit about this project you're doing titled Youth and Animals During COVID-19 and give us a little background on you know how that came about and what the goals of the study were? Sure. And yeah, the field is really young. There's new research coming out, but there's not tons. And so there's still a big need for more. And really this study came up because as, you know, people were going into quarantine and, you know, isolating, I, there was obviously the concern that was out there of what's this going to mean, especially for kids, um, when spending time with their friends and their peers is so important. So, that really got me thinking. And I thought, you know, it'd be really interesting if someone would do a survey or something, some kind of study to see what role animals are playing in the lives of kids right now. And I had this well, duh moment of, gosh, Stephanie, you could do that. And so I, that was the inspiration in the moment. And so I went with it and developed a survey that was, um, sent out, uh, on social media and, and around through our different, um, email avenues. And I, but I guess your question was more about uh, what the goals of the study were. So I'm going to jump back to that. Um, but yeah, we were, there was definitely that concern out there already for, you know, the mental health of, of kids and teens. And we were seeing in the data that there was a national 4-H council survey, mental health survey that went out and 70% of teens were reporting that they were struggling with mental health and that changes from the pandemic were playing a role in that and that their concern was steadily increasing. Um, they also reported that they wanted and needed more help and opportunities to talk about and learn about mental health and how to cope. So again, with, you know, my background, um, looking at how animals play a role in mental health and educational settings, I thought this would be really interesting to know more about and how animals are, um, playing in the live, uh, playing a role in the lives of kids during COVID-19. Yeah, that's so important. And it gave me the chills when you just gave us that statistic about the teens, 70% of the teens struggling with mental health, because it just makes my heart hurt so much for them and really appreciate the type of studies like this that are being done. And I'm really hoping to see some and hear about your results and see some actual results showing that animals have helped our kiddos during this time. So how did you go about collecting this type of data? Uh, What methods were used? Yeah. So, um, you know, especially with (laughs) having to be virtual, I think the best solution I had at the time was, all right, I'll do a survey online. And so I put the survey together, um, and just sort of figure out different blocks of questions, uh, to ask getting at this connection of what kids are doing and what types of things they are doing with animals, you know, how they're spending their time. And then, uh, questions that are more on the relational aspect of what they're doing with their animals and what those animals mean to them. So I put the survey together and sent it out over our different social media outlets through 4-H and WSU. I also sent it out through the email chains that we have for 4-H members. And so it was pretty heavily 
Um, while it was open to any youth ages seven to 18 in Washington state, it was um, predominantly 4-H kids that were taking this survey. Um, a big challenge is that I had to get also parent permission for kids to answer the questions. And so I think that definitely limited how many respondents I had because that extra step is <laughs> seems so simple, but it really is challenging for someone to go, hey, oh, hey, you know, can I do the survey, get permission, then do it? And so um, I think that limited the survey, but we still have a good number. We had 100 respondents and our find I found some interesting things. So yeah, I can imagine that extra step would limit them too because not all of the kids are comfortable mm-hmm. talking about their mental health with their parents. And so asking them to do a survey about mental health may have been a big roadblock for them because they just didn't even want to bring up the subject with their parents. So I could see how that would be a, a challenge for you. But 100 responses is still a really great response rate for a survey, especially with kids, because they oftentimes don't you know, take their extra time to do things like that. So I think that's awesome that you were able to get a hundred surveys back. Thanks. Yeah, it, it, that's so true. My own kids, I, when I was writing the survey, I just wanted them to take it to tell me if it made sense and to like kind of proofread it for me and, um, and to see how <laughs> they have, a, we have a good spread of ages in the house. And so, but even they didn't want, they got to the mental health type questions and they're like, I don't want to answer these anymore because you're going to see them. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. That, and that's something that should be worked on and changed. Mm -hmm. That open line of communication should be between all parents and kids. But hopefully this survey is something that gave them that stepping stone to maybe talk a little bit about it with their parents. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So I'm really excited to actually hear about your results because I know you have been excited about what you're seeing. So the big money question, <laughs> what have you found in the analyzed data? Yeah. So uh, first, uh, I wanted to make sure that my assumptions were right, that, uh, you know, we're kids actually spending less time with their friends. We know that some people, their lives didn't change a whole lot, but indeed the people who took the survey, 86% of them said that they were spending less or much less time with their friends and 73% reported spending more or much more time with their animals than before. Now, another 25% said that they spent about the same amount of time with their animals. So, you know, I don't know if who knows how much I I didn't ask how much time they were actually spending, which would have been interesting. But uh, for the obvious strong majority, they were definitely spending less time with friends and more time with animals. That Um, makes sense. Yeah. So, um, so then my, my next, the next step is to know, do animals really provide support, um, in similar ways that, you know, a friend might, um, we all know that, yeah, we, we, you know, spend time with our pets, but is it really like making up for anything? And is there an actual emotional piece connected to it? Um, so I asked, uh, things like, whether or not having animals at home made it easier or harder for them since they did have to stay home more. And overwhelmingly, they said that the pets definitely made it easier. So 64% said definitely easier. 21% said somewhat easier. 13% said, uh, 
neither harder or easier. And no one said that having pets at home made things harder. Um, (laughs) Even with the extra chores. (laughs) Even with the extra chores. And I was also kind of curious, you know, a lot of people went out and ended up getting new pets. And that's something that I asked. I don't, I didn't actually have that result in front of me right now, but a lot of people did report going out and getting more animals. And so I was kind of curious if that might show up that, oh boy, now we have all these animals, but they didn't complain. So an entire farm full of chores, but it seems like they enjoyed the extra work less, more than having uh, all that extra, extra time spent on the animals. It was worth it for them. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and then as far as, uh, you know, asking, trying to figure out if animals were providing emotional support. I had a block of questions there. So there were five questions that uh, contributed into that. Uh, One of them being that question of whether uh, pets made it harder or easier. But then I also um, included in this this statistic, um, whether they believe their um, pet or animal that they spent the most time with understood their emotions, whether they thought their animal provided comfort, cheer, um, if that animal helped them from feeling lonely, and whether the animal helps them to relax when they feel worried or stressed. So um, that kind of made up this overall question that I was able to average. And across the group of the 100 respondents, uh, responses were very positive. Um, as a whole, the group mean uh, value for the total score of that was a 3.6 out of 4. So <laughs> very, very positive. That's good news. Um, most, if not all, the kids felt that animals were providing this emotional support um, while they were engaging with them and that their animals like did have that sense of connection with them. So on that scale of four, the higher the number, the more so the animals supported them in their mental health or their emotional state. Is that what the interpretation is? Yeah. Yep, exactly. So um, they had the option of uh, not true at all, which would be a one. And then four is definitely true. So uh, they definitely felt (laughs) like animals um, provided that emotional support for them. That's amazing. I love that you have put values to the anecdotal evidence that we've always been told or thought ourselves. And now we're actually seeing those numbers and those youth reporting it themselves. And I I forgot to ask earlier, what were the ages of the kids, the age range of the youth that took this survey? Yeah. So um, we had kids ages seven to 18, and there seemed to be a pretty good spread. I think the average age was around 12. So um, a pretty even amount across the board between ages seven and 18 took the survey. That's awesome. What a good age range. Yeah. It's nice to have a good spread of ages to be representative of that population. Yeah. Personally, not surprised by this at all, but I'm so excited (laughs) that you're seeing the evidence. So I'm curious, what does this mean for you, for the community? What's next? How do we apply this type of data to what we're seeing? Yeah, well, um, so I guess I'll, I, I want to back up just a little bit. I, there was actually another step to this because I really wanted that. So what part in there, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I looked at 
also the different types of activities that kids were um, doing with their pets and how much of each of those activities. So I had a list of different things like feeding your animal, um, cleaning out their pen, taking them on walks, training them, hugging them, petting them, and ask them to rank how or rate how much they were doing each of those things. And this is where it actually got really interesting. And so what I found was that, um, first, the more that parents encouraged their kids to go do something with their animals, to go spend time with them, the more that they did, which makes sense. Right. Mm -hmm. But also that parent influence, um, was showing up as a really strong predictor of their feeling of emotional support from their animals. And so that time being spent led to that greater amount of like emotional connection and the parents had a role in that. So, um, you know, that encouragement was really important. It looks like, and then I also broke down, um, how, like what different types of activities led to greater, feelings of emotional support from their animal. So what I found was that the greatest impact, uh, on this emotional support piece, feelings of emotional support from animals was when kids reported petting their animals a lot and hugging them, which I thought was so sweet. I know (laughs) I'm picturing this cute little seven year old hugging his bunny rabbit. Yes, (laughs) exactly. So, I mean, and that was like, that was a huge predictor of it. Um, the other, and these are, you know, good significant correlations to, um, you know, this was not a experimental design, but still really good, um, evidence. So the net, the other things that made a difference were, um, when kids reported talking to their pets more, walking them or, or exercising them and spending time training their animals. Um, and then just behind those things were, doing activities just like playing games or even taking pictures with their animals or of their animals significantly predicted the amount of emotional support that kids felt they got from their animals. Um, I feel like this next one is going to be one that might make kids cheer, but the things <laughs> that were <laughs> that were not significantly predicting this emotional support were the chores. So like feeding the animals or cleaning out their pens. Um, I would, you know, especially as a parent, make the argument that those things are still super important. Uh-huh, absolutely. <laughs> but they just happen on this to not be a main predictor of those feelings of emotional support. They so. don't become closer, but are still necessary in order to keep the animals healthy and happy themselves. Yes. Yes. That's quite <laughs> funny that you saw those types of results. But I love that so many of the things that kids were doing with the animals were related to their feelings with the animals, that even taking photos and doing kind of silly things like that even went towards developing that close relationship and feeling supported by their animals. That really warms my heart that basically anything they did with them other than the chores (laughs) predicted the close relationship that they were feeling. Yeah. Yeah. So pretty exciting results. I thought I was happy to see all that. That is awesome. So what would you take this to mean? How will you apply this to what you're teaching your parents you work with, the kids you work with, the community? What message would you like to send to people based on the results you're seeing? 
Yeah. So um, first, I think that this gives a nice boost to that evidence that, you know, pets and animals really do provide a they're like a protective factor in our lives of the list of things that, you know, help buffer us when things get rough. Um, so pets can be one of those resources. Um, now the kids in this study, like I mentioned earlier, all, um, for the most part, all of them, except for I think six reported being enrolled in some kind of either 4-H or FFA or pony club. And so I think that these kids had some really good mentors encouraging them, I would assume encouraging them as well as their parents to uh, go interact with their animals. And so I think that that is, and you know, and other research shows that mentorship is really important. So um, I definitely encourage uh, parents to kind of see what's out there in the community and find um, ways for their kids to get connected especially if they do show an interest in, in certain animals or even, you know, in 4-H there's, you can show your, your house cat, you can <laughs> like, you, there's so many options. And, um, and with those comes the education and they learn more about animal behavior and reading them and understanding the emotionality of animals and themselves. And so I think that that is really important. And although this research the study that I did may not have broken it down to that level. I think it is all connected and that seems to be what the field as a whole is pointing toward. So mm -hmm. that part's really important. And of course, you know, the more we understand animal behavior, the more, <laughs> the better that relationship and communication is. Um, the other thing I would say is, which is definitely more directly right out of this study is parents uh, be sure to encourage your kids to spend time with their pet or other animals. Um, you know, get off the computer, get off your phone, put them down time to go spend that one hour recess with your pet. And, um, I, I would think that that will help. I try to do that with my own kids. It's so hard. And I know, especially if you're like me and you're a work at home, full-time mom, um, you don't always have the time to like go teach them these different things. And so it might just be going and saying, okay, one hour outside, you know? <laughs> and, yeah. Yeah. Um, Encouraging them to actually do that. Cause sometimes the hardest part of getting out of the funk of COVID for the kids is being just getting up and doing something, but sometimes it seems like so much work. So that outside yeah. encouragement from the parents may be exactly what they need to go work with their animal, even though there's nothing except yeah. beneficial results from being with the animal. Sometimes it can be hard to just get yourself to do it. So the encouragement from the parents seems like a really important piece of that. Yeah. Yeah. And then other things, um, you know, obviously, like, like I said earlier, the hugging and petting the animals important and it, you know, kids, you might tell them that they might kind of go like, I've gotten that look so many times, What? <laughs> you know, but, um, what I've seen is that even if they give you the, you know, mom, that's so silly, look, they'll do it. <laughs> so you just so, have to turn around first. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, and a lot of the, um, like animal therapy programs, uh, the, you know, whether it's an instructor or counselor, they'll encourage kids to, if they're having a hard time talking about things, they'll be like, all right, well, I'm just going to leave you here with, you know, Fufu and you can pet Fufu and talk about whatever you want. And 
they seem to really respond. And so providing those opportunities, I think is good. Um, that's awesome. Yeah. So do you have any final tips or resources? You've already given us a ton, encouraging the kids to work with their animals, finding youth, positive youth organizations to get the kids involved with. But do you have any final tips or resources you'd like to share with our listeners uh, based on what you're seeing in this this study for helping kids get the, through these difficult times like COVID? Yeah. Um you know, I think that this applies more to just kids. There, there is another study out there that looked at um, adults and pets and and that kind of thing. And pets can, <laughs> for some for some adults, they created more stress <laughs> as they do, <laughs> but they also, you know, can be a great resource for adults too. I encourage uh, adults and parents to model the behaviors that they want to see in their kids, and so, you know mom, dad, aunt, grandma, go pet, hug, cuddle your pets when your kids, the kids can see and model those things. Um, if you're interested for those who maybe don't have pets, um, you know, pets aren't for everyone. It's a huge commitment. And the last thing I would want is for people to rush out and everybody go buy a puppy when they're not ready to have a puppy or they (laughs) don't have the resources. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, there's other opportunities to get your kids connected to nature and even working with animals. Um, it might be maybe you help support getting a classroom pet or uh, volunteer at like a therapeutic writing center, uh, pathinternational.org. It's P-A-T-H-I-N-T-L.org is a um, professional organization of therapeutic horsemen, and they have uh, connections to centers all around the world. Um, We have one here in Wenatchee where I'm at called Alethea, and they can be a great resource for, you know, of course, the people who go there to ride, but man, the volunteers really benefit too. And kids can help, you know, selectively volunteer for certain things. And so that's a good way to do it. Same with, um, for therapy dogs, one of the leading organizations for doing certifications and a good way to go see if there's therapy dogs in your area is petpartners.org. And, uh, so that's a good one to check out as well. Those are all awesome suggestions. And I definitely want to echo what you said about, you know, sometimes animals or pets are not for every family. We don't want anyone to feel like they need to get an animal for their child to get through the COVID pandemic if it's just not possible for your family. But if you can find other ways to get kids in volunteering at a shelter or working with PATH or any of the other things Stephanie mentioned, it may be a good option to help those kids get some of that emotional uh, of their emotional needs met that they may be missing out on during the pandemic. Well, Stephanie, I am so happy to hear about all of these results. I cannot wait to see where you go with this and see the continued studies that you do based off of this and just look forward to seeing everything that you continue to work on with animals and children. Thanks, Natasha. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah. Thanks for joining us today. Have a great rest of your day. You too. Thank you for listening to the Cougs Talk Stock podcast brought to you by Washington State University Extension. You can review, rate, and subscribe on iTunes or anywhere you listen. Find us online at soundcloud.com forward slash Cougs Talk Stock.
where the additional resources from our podcasts are linked. Let us know if you have any burning questions or suggestions at cougstalkstock at wsu.edu. This podcast is brought to you by Hannah Browse, Sarah Drager, Dr. Don Llewellyn, and Natasha Moffat-Hemmer, and is produced by Connors Communications at Washington State University. The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed by guests of this podcast are their own and does not imply Washington State University's endorsement. 